A few weeks ago, I had as my guest Pauline Shirelli, Associate Professor in the Faculty of Health at Newcastle University, and we were talking about incontinence in women and sport. I'm very pleased to have Pauline back in the studio with me once again, and this time we're talking about men and their waterworks. Pauline, welcome back. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always a pleasure. In our previous program, we talked about women, and one of the major causes of incontinence in women is childbirth. But obviously, this isn't a reason for men to have problems, unless they're very clever. (laughs) And they're not, are they? No. (laughs) So where do things start to come adrift for the men? Is it all to do with the prostate gland? Well, we think so. Um, When we look at the prevalence of incontinence um, in women, you see the prevalence increasing from the mid-20s, which is when the women start having babies, so Mm. that incontinence in women is not a problem of old age. It's something that starts when they get younger and tends to continue on. When we look at the same studies in men... It goes through and and it doesn't start rising until about the age of 50 onwards. But you have to remember we're talking about incontinence. Now, the problem that men have is not specifically incontinence or wet knickers. The problem, the main problem that men have is what we call lower urinary tract symptoms. Um, And so, you know, they're not particularly wet, but they're quite bothered. Mm. So before we sort of go in, into that tell me exactly where does the prostate gland okay. sit now the prostate's about the size of a walnut um and the bladder itself is a hollow muscular organ uh with a tube from the bladder to the outside now the prostate sits around the top of that tube where it emerges from the bladder so we have bladder um then a sphincter then the prostate and then the rest of the tube that comes out through the penis so it's right up close to the bladder And what's its primary use? Well, primarily it's there to produce the fluid to help the sperm um, get where they're meant to go. Hmm. So what happens if something goes wrong to cause the problems that some men do have? Okay. Well, I just I always say that it's it's um, it's it's got punishment um, for the men. We get the menopause, and the, the men get lower urinary tract symptoms. It's sort of the same <laughs> in my mind, but it does tend to start a bit younger in men. For women, that the average menopause age in Australia is about fifty-one years. For men, um, young men aged about 40 can start having lower urinary tract symptoms um, and it often starts with nocturia, that's getting out of bed at night to pee um, and then they get urgency and frequency. Um, I mean, basic the basic difference between the problem and between men and women, the basic difference is that women can't stop and men can't start. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... If there's something wrong with the prostate, it becomes enlarged and that stops the flow of urine travelling. This is true, but in a lot of men who have lower urinary tract symptomatologies, when they actually do ultrasound tests, they they can't correlate the size of the prostate to the magnitude of the problem. So while we think it's the prostate that's causing the problem, we can't always say it's because the prostate is enlarging. Um, So it's still a bit of a mystery in that area. So the major cause of of an enlarged prostate is not necessarily cancer? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The the, um, lower urinary tract symptoms are quite common in men, Iris, um, but uh, prostate cancer is is not nearly as common um, in men as, say, breast cancer is in women. And there is often an argument about um, why are women having all this uh, amount of money spent on, you know, preventing breast cancer when they don't do anything about prostate cancer? Well, breast cancer um, affects young women 
um, with families. Prostate cancer tends to affect older men. Now, a lot of prostate cancer can be really slow-growing. And I can say from the studies that have been done that 90% of 90-year-old males will die with prostate cancer, mm. not from mm. prostate mm. cancer. So some, the mm. majority of prostate cancer is very slow growing, um, but it does not have to be associated in any way with lower urinary tract symptoms. And that's one of the problems we've got. The guys start with the problem, they think the worst, and you know what they do? Nothing. Mm. They do nothing. Um, when we research this, um, you know, there are large numbers, less than one in three men, and I'd say it's even higher than that, with the problem, um, actually go and seek help, mm. which is crazy. They're, they're doing it because they're scared. It's like the woman who finds a lump in her breast and won't go and have anything done yeah. about it. And following on from that, of course, is the fact that there is a lot of publicity in the media and around mm. um, from all sorts of, of well-known people who are saying, look, it doesn't necessarily mean, but for heaven's sake, go and have a check. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And look, Iris, I can understand why the guys don't want to go to the GP and mm. say, I've got a problem. Because in the olden days, they used to have the old, um, you know, innuendo problem. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the guys don't like this, and I can understand that. But what happens nowadays if you, if you go off to the GP and say, look, doc, I've got trouble starting, or I've got trouble keeping going, or I'm waking up at night three or four times a night and it's ruining me, uh, or I've got problems with my sex life, then they're not going to do that. What they're going to do, do first is a blood test, a, a PSA, mm -hmm. which is a prostate-specific antigen. And that's just a marker in the blood that says there's a bit of a problem with the prostate. It doesn't even say you've got particularly got prostate cancer. So they do a blood test and then they go on from there. And that, that also means, of course, that what they find as a result of the, the PSA, as you say, mm. is not necessarily cancer. Absolutely not. Um, and it's so easy and, and just a, a blood test and it's over and done with and their mm. mind is set at rest for mm. one way or the other. If it is cancer, of course, then they can go and get some treatment straight away and, and do something about it. One of the problems... <laughs> that there is, um, is because the PSA is so easy and so available. Remember I said to you that a lot of um, prostate cancer is very slow growing. Mm. Well, very younger, younger men than used to be um, are finding out that they've got a problem. Um, and so, you know, they're, and, and they're being faced with making decisions about whether to have um, surgery mm. or radiation therapy or, you know, whatever. Or whatever. But mm. I mean, basically, um, lower urinary tract symptoms are far more common than um, prostate. And you can actually have and will have lower urinary tract symptoms um, with no prostate cancer. And you can have prostate cancer with absolutely no urinary tract okay. symptoms. So what what a lot of GPs are doing nowadays, as soon as they get a guy through the door, because we know from a health promotion point of view, very few males go to the GP. So when he finally gets to the GP for the first time in eight years with the flu, <laughs> the GP <laughs> leaps in and, and orders a, um, a, a PSA, which, which he's been you know, told mm. he should do. Mm. Um, and so often these guys have got absolutely no symptoms whatsoever. Mm. And, uh, and as you say, it's not necessarily the death knell for a... a Absolutely not. It mm -hmm. isn't. Um, the earlier you get it, of course, the, the as with most cancers, the, the, the greater the chance of recovery is. But you've got a few more choices too. The, the, the earlier you get it, you can, uh, you know, um, the urologist will work with you to make, um, to help you make a decision to suit you and your life stage and where you're at. Mm -hmm. So moving away from cancer, what else will make the prostate enlarge? Well, it's just what we call um, uh, benign prostatic hyperplasia, BPH. We don't know. It just 
grows larger. Mm. Um, it also you can have symptoms because of prostatitis. Okay, and prostatitis means inflammation of the prostate. Now that can be benign. It can be from an infection. Um, it can be, um, you know, for all sorts of reasons. There are about four different sorts of prostatitis that can cause problems, all infinitely treatable. Um, you know, you just need to go and seek help. And this health help, obviously, even if they, um, do they always end up with a, um, a PSA done anyway or does the, do the symptoms vary? I think most GPs, because it's so simple, most GPs would order a PSA um, and then, um, or they may, in fact, just start him on some um, some um, some drugs. But they'd probably order a PSA, and if it came back negative, there is quite a lot of very effective medication that can be used now for to help men with their um, lower urinary tract symptoms. And that, of course, will improve their flow and and everything else that goes with it. Yes, it'll it'll improve the uh, the hesitancy that they have. They have trouble starting, and then then they do in uh, you know they keep going in spits and stops, mm. and um, it's sort of like peeing with the hiccups, <laughs> and um, and it's 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 quite quite a problem for the guys. But it's it's the urgency and the frequency and the nocturia that mm. worry them more than anything. Mm. It's not so much the you know the, the stopping and the starting. Although if you're at the football and there's ten men in the queue behind you and you you can't get it started, it can be quite a worry. I can mm. tell you. Mm. I know that some men, um, if they're in hospital or usually those sorts of circumstances, who can't actually go unless they're standing in front of a urinal, and that the bedpan or the bottle is is absolutely useless to them. Is this a um, mind over matter? No, it, and it's not the urinal either. It's just standing up. I mean, I, I remember very clearly um, uh, my husband having open heart surgery and within hours of the surgery, I mean, he was still bright blue from all this dye that he was mm. using, that he, they had to stand him up because mm. he couldn't pee sitting mm. down. It's to do with the um, more with the intra-abdominal pressures and the way men train themselves to start their pee um, you know, and the way their abdominal muscles will work in with the pelvic floor muscles to help get things started. Mm. So we do become creatures of habit, and these sort of um, these factors are often wired in in, child, in childhood. You don't mm. teach little boys to sit down to wee because only sooks do that, when in actual fact it's not a bad idea if you've got problems um, to try sitting down first because it might make a heck of a difference you can actually relax your pelvic floor better um, when you sit down but of course men really don't like having to sit down to pee there are all sorts of connotations attached to that professor pauline Chirelli is my guest today and pauline what can be done for men who need to urinate during the night they've got to get up is cutting down on drinking any form of liquid one of the answers? Uh, well, cutting down on drinking lots of beer before you go to bed might be one of the answers because it's a lot of fluid. Um, not necessarily. The problem with nocturia is that, um, again, when we are young, um, God designed us to be able to stay in the cave in the dark at night and not to go out because the, the, the bears would get you, okay? And so we have this thing called an antidiuretic hormone so that uh, at night we produce less urine than we do through the day. Okay, oh, okay. this is one of the reasons your mm. breath smells so horrible in the morning and um, all sorts of other things. But um, young, healthy people will actually produce less urine at night. And so the people who've got problems, um, you know, often bedwetters have mm. had problems with this. But as we get older, of course, all our hormones stop working. Well, mine have. 
and this is one of the hormones that stops working. So we start producing as much urine um, at night as we do in the day, and in fact, sometimes more. Now, for older people, women and men, um, if they do a lot of sitting through the day or if they've got any sort of what we call peripheral edema, that's swelling in the feet or ankles, um, as soon as they lie down at night, they put the feet up and all of that swelling can actually get to the kidneys and out. So you've got extra fluid to excrete plus um, the antidiuretic hormones not there. So we often produce a lot more urine at night. The other thing too is for men, when they're lying down, um, if they do have a prostate problem, there may actually be some more pressure on the bladder from the, from the prostate pushing up when they're actually in the lying position. But let me tell you, getting up can really get you down. Um, mm. it's, it's the thing that really impacts um, on, on people. Um, and it's, it's a serious problem in nursing homes because it's associated with falls um, and falls are associated with serious injury and death. So um, it's something we really need to look at. But um, women and men both have nocturia. And again, it's age-related. When we look at it, we can see that nocturia gets worse as we get older. And that's what really upsets the men. Not only that, you get depression. Okay, mm. so you get depressed because you're tired. Um, you sleep through the day, which means you, you, don't, you sleep don't sleep so well night. through the night. And it's a, a, a really onward, downward spiral. Mm. And if you talk to your GP about it, some of these, um, the drugs that they're using for, um, to, 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 to make the flow easier, um, can actually help with nocturia as well. Mm. Bedwetting, from what I'm aware of, occurs more in young boys than in young girls is this part of their makeup even from that early age that um, I know that girls do wet the bed but you tend to hear more about boys who do mm. um, and you're talking now about um, having to get up through the night and mm. bedwetting in older men mm. um, is that part of their makeup if you speak to a urologist, um, and I have a number of friends who are urologists, and they will tell you that of the patients they see in a tertiary referral hospital, like a big hospital mm. like the John or um, in Sydney, 60% of the men that they see with problems uh, actually were childhood bedwetters. But I think often what happens with children if their bedwetting isn't managed well, they just become people who wake up to wee. They don't become people who actually get um, better nocturnal control mm. of the, the urinary system. Um, but I'm not sure. I mean, it would be, um, you know, it would be not, um, not fair for me to, to, to say that to I really comment. understood or to comment. But I do know that um, in a tertiary referral centre that men with urinary problems seeing a urologist are more likely to have been childhood bedwetters. But childhood, but bedwetting is not the um, innocuous uh, um, condition that is put out to be. It can be managed very, very well and should be. It shouldn't, people shouldn't really just wait for it to go away. If a child is about eight and still wetting the bed, then you should be seeking help from a, um, a nurse continence advisor or a physio who works in that area. Mm. Mm. What's the normal amount that would go through our, our bladder in the course of a day? I mean, how many times would you need to go, on average, um, go to, to have a wee? Okay. Well, let me tell you, um, in temperate climates, when you're not doing a huge amount of um, activity, we need to drink about 1.8 litres a day. Mm. Okay, so the magic two comes up, but it's actually about 1.8 
Um, now, the bladder holds about 350 to 400 mils, so that's about as much as a can of drink. Now, most people, most women, when they pee, are lucky to hold on to 150, 200 mils because they pee at the drop of a hat. They go just in case. But men, for example, will hold on to the full amount. Um, and most, we, I like my ladies to, to wee about between five to seven times a day mm. and get up once through the night. That's about normal as long as you're only drinking 1.8 litres a day. Mm. Let me tell you, Iris, I'm walking around the university here. The young girls constantly sucking very expensive bottled water. Um, and I get really, um, you know, put out by the amount of water they're drinking. What goes in must come out. Um, and it takes about an hour from uh, a glass of water to get from your mouth through your kidneys um, and into your bladder. So, for example, if you're going to an exercise class, what you should do is not drink for an hour before, um, then have a big glass just as you're walking onto the onto the onto the floor, um, and you'll be hydrated well. But um, yeah, men tend to go fewer times than women because they've got a longer urethra. Um, and they are not frightened of the public puddle. Most women have a very real fear mm. of a public puddle. Um, and the guys just sort of look at you and you say, look, I'm busting. I've got to go. I've got to go. They just have to squeeze the, the head of the penis and they can, you know, sort they of can hang, on. hang on a bit longer. But the women know that there's a very real fear. Um, and so they tend to empty more often. So, mm. Mm. How common is the problem of not being able to, A, start to, to wee in men, this mm. is, and... B, not being able to empty the bladder properly anyway. So you've got, we've got two problems there that both of which can be caused by, by the prostate. Um, and I'd say probably, you know, anything up to 10% of males have this, this problem. Um, I mean, if you've got a swelling around a tube and, and the tube is where the, the urine is getting through, um, you know, it can cause problems. And if you don't empty, properly each time you go, um, you know, there's a chance, I suppose, that, uh, you know, you can get an infection in your bladder, which isn't good. Um, the other thing that men have too is they have an internal sphincter so that when they ejaculate, the ejaculate needs to go out and not in. And so this sphincter shuts off the, the neck of the bladder to stop the ejaculate from going back up into the bladder. Mm. Well, of course, this can cause problems in men as well. So mm. they, they might have um, problems with the sphincter um, and uh, that's causing problems mm. and uh, a bit of, um, you know, lower urinary tract symptomatology. So all in all, you know, they don't really, we all sort of think that we get the menopause and men get nothing. But in fact, um, they do. But um, I'm just presenting a paper. We have a conference coming up um, next Monday, actually. Uh, it's called a Mars and Venus conference. Um, and the, the the thrust of my presentation will be that um, men are miserable, but women are wet and miserable. Um, because, um, you know, as I say, men tend not to leak urine until after they've had um, uh, uh, prostate surgery, um, but uh, women will leak because of their pelvic floor muscles are weak from childbirth. The um, you have told me a, on a couple of occasions uh, the problem that men have of not finishing off properly. Mm. Um, what's the answer to that? 
So are you talking about not emptying properly or the no matter how I dance and jig, the last that's three it. drops goes down that's my it. leg? Yes. Well, that's called post-micturition dribble. And even young men have this problem where they'll um, – this is why they have hand dryers in men's toilets so they can dry the front of their trousers. Um, look, it's a very simple problem, Iris. It's it's actually to do with an S-bend. When when the, um, the urethra comes out of the bladder um, and passes down um, out through the penis, it gets a bit of a kink in it. And so the men urinate, and there's this little tiny couple of drops sit in this S-bend. And the treatment is to lift the S-bend. And what men do is actually push down and <clears throat> strain to try and um, to, to get it out. And that, of course, makes it worse. What they should be doing is lifting the pelvic floor. And there are studies that clearly show that doing a big, strong pelvic floor contraction while you're standing at the trough will actually lift the S-bend and the last three drops will come out. Um, and the, the problem is solved. You can do it by hand. You can slip your fingers underneath the scrotum and lift up and forward, and that will empty the S-bend as well. Mm. But let me tell you again, if you've got the 10 guys behind you at the football game, you much better to stand there and do a big pelvic floor squeeze. They won't know what you're doing. Um, and out will come the last few drops and you'll be fine. But, you know, in aged care, this absolutely devastates elderly men um, because, you know, they do get this little wet patch mm. um, on their on their clothes and it says to everybody as they come out of the toilet, look, he's wet himself. And, um, you know, they, it's quite a devastating simple um, uh, symptom that has a really simple solution. Mm. You're talking about pelvic floor for men. Mm. Are they exactly the same as they are for women, taking in mind that we're a slightly different shape? Well, they are different for, for men because, um, one, they don't have a big hole in the middle of them like women do because mm. they don't have a vagina. The other thing is our pubic bones are like a, women, a woman's uh, pelvis is designed for baby's head to come out and, of course, men don't have, ever have to do anything as exciting as that. So their pubic angle is about 60 degrees where the two pubic mm. bones join in the front mm. and ours is about 90. So it just means that the pelvic floor muscles have slightly different orientation. But it's interesting that... Men are not terribly aware of their pelvic floor muscles, um, and it's the deep pelvic floor muscles that help um, bladder control. The superficial pelvic floor muscles, of course, are responsible for erectile function, and so at about the age of nine months, I'm pretty sure the, <laughs> these guys learn how to use the superficial pelvic floor uh, muscles because uh, it's they're the muscles that will actually um, fill the penis with blood and keep it there. Um, but the deep pelvic floor muscles are the ones that help with urinary and um, and uh, bowel control and so men need to be encouraged to know that they're doing um, their exercises properly so it's not just a case of standing and jiggling your old fellow um, because jiggling the old fellow tends to be done by the superficial pelvic floor muscles so they need to know how to do it properly you're listening to well-being i'm iris nichols and my guest today is associate professor pauline shirelli pauline we're talking about incontinence, and you've mentioned about young males have the same problem too. What would be the biggest cause for the younger men in comparison with the older men? Um, I think um, I haven't said that younger men are more incontinent or as incontinent. Mm. Very few young men are actually incontinent. But as I said, the the, the symptomatology, the the frequency, going to the toilet, um, you know, too too frequently, um, and the nocturia that can start at about the age of forty. Uh, I mean, for some men, um, you know, the first sign will be um, you know having to get up more through the night. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, interestingly enough, some of the other signs of uh, prostate enlargement are, for example, painful ejaculation because the prostate has uh, a role to play um, in producing the ejaculate. So, uh, um, and younger men, you know, are probably more likely to seek help, but, um, you know, there's no guarantee about that. Mm. Well, the, it sort of leads me on to the, um, the idea that if the prostate gland is obviously involved in erectile function mm. if it's enlarged does this sort of mess up the whole idea completely um, sometimes yes and sometimes no um, I mean the problem with um, with the prostate is that if you've got um, benign prostatic hyperplasia that is if, if the the prostate just decides it's going to swell um, <clears throat> then men can have what we call a transurethral resection so that they um, they just uh, bore out the urethra um, you know they don't have to cut the tummy open to do anything mm. they do it from from the outside and just make the tube bigger again um, and that's the most common sort of surgery that's done for men. But if they've got um, uh, cancer, then one of the options is to have what we call a radical prostatectomy. Now, um, this can be done through the tummy. It can be done actually from behind the scrotum. It can also be done laparoscopically nowadays. And again, you don't always have to have surgery. It's up. To the, this is what you discuss mm. with your with your urologist. Um, you may have surgery or and or radiation therapy um, and or chemotherapy, depending on you know what the decision mm. is made. But if you're going to have um, prostate uh, radical prostatectomy. Um, there is a good, a high proportion of men who are uh, incontinent of urine post prostatectomy, um, and who also have erectile dysfunction because um, during the surgery, the the uh, the surgeons do their damnedest to try and miss the um, the the nerves to the erectile function, but in most instances, getting the whole prostate out is um, takes precedence over um, trying to preserve um, nerve supply, and so some lots of men actually. Have have erectile dysfunction, post-prostatectomy, and incontinence. So even before surgery, it can affect their sex life in general? Um, it can. I mean, anybody who's um, you know getting up seven times a night <laughs> isn't going to feel particularly um, uh, sexy. So it can, but it doesn't necessarily have to do this. But I think one of the important things is that if people are going to have um, prostate surgery, especially a radical prostatectomy, um, then they should be starting their pelvic floor exercises well and truly in advance. Now, the problem is, when somebody goes to the doctor and is told, you've got prostate surgery, we have to do a radical prostatectomy. I mean, the state of mind is not conducive to, okay, now dear, you've got to do this and you've got to do this and you've got to do this. And, and so what, what we find is that when you speak to the guys after the surgery and you know darn well you've given all this information, they'll say, oh, no, no, nobody told me about that. It goes straight over the head. Now, we know this happens with women um, with breast cancer. Um, and, um, you know, and so we're learning that, that that men need lots of TLC, they need information and they need it um, soon. But, um, you know, it's uh, the pelvic floor exercises can make a difference. They've got to be started beforehand and they've got to be done well. Um, and as I said to you before, just jiggling the old fellow doesn't mean that you're um, using your pelvic floor. So if men want to start practicing pelvic floor exercises, and of course I advise young men to start this anyway because they'll have a um, <coughs> more likely to have a, a, a better time time should they uh, should they need help you stand in front of the mirror without your underwear on mm. 
and you're going to do a really big squeeze up as though you've got wind and you're in the movies and you don't want to let it out and embarrass yourself. So you do a big squeeze. Now, it's got to be maximal and you've got to be watching in the mirror because what you want is you want your scrotum to lift. You want the chromaster muscle to come in. I call that the walnut muscle. <laughs> I have six grandsons. And when you undo the nappy, the little chromaster muscle pulls the scrotum up. It looks like a walnut. So that's what we want. That will tell the man, yes, you're using the right muscle and you're using it strongly enough. Um, and sometimes he probably may not be able to do um, as many of these as he needs to do. Generally speaking, what we want is for them to be able to hold for 10 seconds and do 10 in a row. Now, he might be able to hold for three seconds and do three in a row. Well, that's where he starts. But he's got to stand in front of the mirror, do a maximal squeeze and feel the the scrotum lift. Then he knows he's using the right muscle and uh, he can take it from there. Mm. And uh, as you say, it doesn't have to be 10 Ten, ten. No, you can start off with. That's right. You, I mean, it's the same as if you go to the gym. I mean, mm. if you go to the gymnasium and start to lift weights, you don't expect to lift the, you know, all the, the weights maximum. on the first day. Mm. So be sensible and write down how many you can do and how long you can hold it, and then gradually try and increase that over time. Immediately postoperatively, of course, Iris is not going to be in any position to be wanting to do anything um, mm. related to moving anything down there, and that's fine. And the surgeon will um, let him know when to get started with the pelvic floor exercises um, after the surgery. But at least if he, he knows what he's doing yes. prior yes. to surgery, it, oh, it'll of cut him much better. Yes. Yeah. And we've got um, bladder training programs too. I mean, um, a lot can be done for men who've simply got lower urinary tract symptoms. Um, if they've got uh, urgency frequency, um, they can go along and have um, some bladder training uh, from a nurse continence advisor or a physiotherapist if they, they uh, work in that particular arena. Um, a bladder training program can give men a lot of control just simply by teaching them to use the pelvic floor um, and giving them a lot of information because they're quite um, they're quite lacking in in how the wedding tackle works. Mm. I mean, until it stops working, and then you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, it's just ter- devastating, absolutely devastating. Mm. I and mean, I was about to say that men usually are more reluctant to go and seek help than than a woman for they, anything. They are, and the thing about it is, as I say, there are now <laughs> drugs on the market now. If the man's got lower urinary tract symptoms from benign prostatic hyperplasia, Mm. which is more likely to be the cause than anything else. Not only do the drugs help, uh, you know, the problem at the moment, but uh, from the study that I was reading recently, it it would appear that these drugs can stop it from getting any worse and may, in fact, um, disappear. So my advice to any of the guys out there who've got any problems with their waterworks, go off to your GP um, and have a good talk to them. I mean, if you, um, you know, most GPs are blokes, so I don't suppose that matters much anymore. But, um, you know, don't be shy. That's what they're there for. Um, and they're looking at this sort of thing day in, day out. That's what they're there for. Mm. Pauline, thanks for that advice and thank you for coming in. And um, I would like to say that since you have been a regular on this program over the years. You started off, I think you started off as Dr. Pauline when you yes, first came that's in. Right. Yes. And, uh, oh, probably re- not even that. I think I came before just as Pauline. You tell me now you've been promoted. Yes. And yes. so congratulations on you, becoming Iris. Associate Professor. And it's been a delight as always to have you here. And I'm quite sure that while I'm doing the program that We'll have you back again. Oh, thank you. And uh, just my advice to those boys is just go and see about it if you've got a problem. There's definitely going to be a simple solution. My guest today has been Associate Professor Pauline Shirelli 
and she's from the Faculty of Health at the University of Newcastle. On behalf of all of us here, this is Iris Nichols saying thank you for listening and stay well.